Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We have a conflicts of interest about the BBC's recently published 100 Greatest TV Series of the 21st Century. And our main review is Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright. Before we get to the nitty gritty, are you well, James? I'm well, but I had a shocking moment in a shoe shop. I saw a pair of trainers. They had a large N on the side. Now, if you were to see a pair of trainers with a large N on the side, taking up the whole height of of the shoe, what brand would you say that is? New Balance. Okay, I thought it was Nike. I was being facetious. I would have said the same, yeah. Okay, so would you say Nike? Yes, I would, yeah. I too thought it was Nike. I'm aware of the Nike tick. I know the (laughs) Nike tick, just to to be clear. I didn't know it was New Balance, and my wife... It was New Balance. It was, it was New... Why, I was waiting for you to say, my wife. <laughs> my wife. Yes, it was New Balance. It was New Balance. I didn't even know whether they were definitely a make of shoe. That was guesswork. It was such a huge moment that my wife... My wife! She took a picture of me holding the New Balance shoe because she was <laughs> so shocked. And she said, I'm going to show my friends this and tell them that you thought that was a Nike shoe. Share the wealth. I would like to see it as well, please, if you don't mind. Okay. Oh, can I give you an update from last week's episode? Yes. One, I still haven't done my fact-checking. I'm going to stand my ground with the guess that film, which was The Evil Dead, and it has a link into the Marvel Universe, because I didn't say Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Second, told you that I'd never been trick-or-treating. The day after we recorded, that was playing on my mind a bit, and... We'd had a package delivered across the road. So I thought, it's Halloween. Why not kill two birds with one stone? So I knocked on to collect my package and I went, trick or treat. And he he just looked at me with such disdain and went, I've got nothing for you, mate, at all. And I was like, oh, it was, it was just a joke. Uh, I've come to collect my package. So he gave it to me anyway. Honestly, I don't have anything for you, though. And it was like, this, it was a joke. It was a joke. This... It just backfired. But I believe now that I have trick-or-treated. Okay. I can see the first point about Marvel Universe. That's fine. That's a bit weird that he couldn't take the joke. He knows he's got the package. Yeah. Surely he's guessed that's why you're there. That's obviously, that it's obviously a joke. So why is he repeating? I've not got anything. I'm glad I'm not on my own then, because I thought there is no way this could go wrong. And yet it did. Yeah. I think that's I'm- on him. That is on him. Good. Thank you. I feel better now. Anywho, Halloween's been and gone. What have you been watching? Insiders, which is a Spanish reality TV show on Netflix. It's brand new, released in full. Seven episodes, which is a strange number of episodes. Twelve people believe they're in the final casting stages of a Big Brother-like program. But the show has already begun. They're already being filmed from day one. They're secretly being filmed. They live in the Big Brother house but they're told it's still being finished and the camera crews are coming in and out setting things up. And they know that they're being filmed when they're in this studio part where they do different tasks. Now, in the current year, people going on reality TV are there to perform and get Instagram clout and ASOS sponsorship. They're not being real. Insiders 
tries to catch people being real. And the idea is to watch people switch between performing for the cameras and off camera being normal and talking about being on TV or scheming or bitching or whatever. None of that comes off as well as I'd hoped. You don't get to see the contestants change behavior and be fake. And halfway through, they're all told that the whole thing is being filmed and it's revealed that they all suspected that anyway. And the second half of the series is the contestants watching cinema screenings of each other bitching about each other to create drama when they thought they weren't being filmed, which is fun to watch, but that's not what I wanted from this. I wanted to study the behavior a bit more. It's got 4.3 on IMDb. It's not gone down very well. I can see why. I was interested enough in the concept to watch it, but I wouldn't recommend it. I just hope that someone else can tweak the format so it's simply about tricking people into secretly being filmed. And you watched this in its entirety, did you? Yes, I did. At least you give it a first shot. That's Insiders on Netflix. It's in Spanish, and I watched it in Spanish. So not worth anybody's time by the sounds of it. Missed opportunity. Anything worthy of people's attention? What We Do in the Shadows, the series. Now, I've slept on this program for two years, and I'm deeply ashamed. I thought it was just the film from 2014 that existed. I didn't know the series even existed. And I discovered it via a review of the third series, which has recently concluded on Disney Plus in the UK. It's a mockumentary about four vampires and their familiar, their human familiar, and they're going about their daily lives and occasionally bumping into other creatures and comedy ensues. The first series, I think, is more look at how normal they are. But by the third series, it's leaning more into the lore and other creatures and the wider vampire world but it's comedy and it's consistently genuinely and actually funny the main cast all bring something different they have great chemistry matt berry is in it i had no idea this is not new information but the way that he uses intonation to get laughs out of any combination of two words is genius It's an American program shot in Canada, I believe, but it feels British because the three main vampires are British. I I love it. I've fed off its comedy blood in the past few days, binging all three (laughs) series. So I get that it's not new. Third series is new, but I want to bring something positive after my run of negative reviews. I really enjoyed this program. What we do in the shadows. And how can we watch that? Disney Plus in the UK or Hulu in America. You've spurred me on. I'm going to give this another go. I really liked the film, but I got one episode in and I thought, me, I never bothered. But one episode is probably not enough to make a fully formed review on it. So I will give it, I'll give it a go. Thank you. Yeah, it's all, it's all kind of blurred together for me, but it does keep the quality up through the three series. Very good. Daniel, what have you been watching? I've struggled actually this week because I've been steadily making my way through completing series or series that I started months ago, Sex Education, Midnight Mass, Below Deck Med. But I have managed to watch one thing that is hot off the press, and that is American Crime Story. We've reviewed quite a few of Ryan Murphy's programmes on on this podcast. Ratchet, Holston, we've mentioned American Horror Story. The man can do no wrong! He can he definitely can. His, his track record is far from pristine. But I've probably said this before, you can always rely on him, even if the story is a bit lacking. There's always a sheen to what he does. He, he's the master of injecting style and an attention to detail, especially when you're recreating time periods. If nobody's watched American Crime Story, I believe that the first two seasons are on Netflix. 
It is no exception to that quality that you get this. I would say this is amongst the strongest of offerings that he has. Season one covered the LJ Simpson trial. Season two was the murder of Gianni Versace and American spree killer Andrew Cunanan, which was, I think it goes down as one of my most favourite seasons of a TV show ever. So I had very high expectations. This one is subtitled American Crime Story Impeachment, and it tackles the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky sex scandal from the late 90s. I was really worried about this because we endured, even as youngsters, so much news coverage on this at the time that it feels like it's just a subject that we, we know all too much about. So how do you warrant having a 10-episode season of this? Somehow, it entirely justifies it. You get so much rich detail about the players involved in this scandal and how it all came to be. You get real insight into the political shenanigans of those who are like hell-bent on bringing Clinton down, whether it's the media, the FBI, or political rivals. It, it just comes at it from all angles. There are also things that I learned about the Clinton administration, like other indiscretions that took place throughout his presidency, and I had no idea. So that was very eye-opening. It is worth noting, Monica Lewinsky, she serves as an executive producer on this, so you could be forgiven for assuming that this is going to have a very heavy-handed post-Me Too feminist message to it. 100%, I don't think that it does. The messaging is in there, but you kind of naturally arrive at, God, this woman had a really raw deal. She was treated appallingly, and she just became the butt of jokes for years to come. But it isn't shoved down your throat ad nauseum every five minutes. You just you just get that yourself. Lewinsky is played by Beanie Feldstein, a.k.a. Jonah Hill's sister. I'm sure if she ever listened to this, she would hate me referring to her as that. She is brilliant in this. She's sympathetic. She's likeable. But it doesn't shy away from pointing out like her naivety and ill-placed loyalty, I suppose you could say. You could argue that it's, it's a very one-sided story and that Monica Lewinsky is involved in this and that there's some bending of the truth. And I'm sure there is a bit of that, but there are developments in this which are undeniable facts. They are facts, historical facts. So I, I don't personally think they've took too many liberties. They're just presenting a very well-known story with a different perspective. And they've got the benefit of hindsight. And they're also not in the midst of all the tabloid sensationalism of the time. So it, it does benefit. I was going to go into the acting, but I'd just be talking for talking's sake. We'll leave it. It's all very good across the board. People have had some quite sniffy responses to the makeup that is used on the likes of Clive Owen, who plays Bill Clinton. I didn't mind it. I think his performance is the right side of an imitation without it feeling parody. If you have any doubts about whether it's worth your time watching this because it's a story that you're already familiar with. Let me tell you, it is completely worth it. There are nuggets of information and there's some fantastic standout scenes that just make this a really absorbing drama. So it was very riveting for me. And so far, I'm not disappointed. American Crime Story, impeachment on BBC. I almost watched it for the reasons you've just said, actually. I thought, I'm not going to bother. I've, I've seen enough of that. But I think I will watch it now, based on what you've said. I think you'll be surprised and I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on it as well. So yeah, give it a go. Okay. Daniel, it's James, man. I I'm just saying, I, I was talking to the girls, you know, and we, we, we don't put enough emphasis on the ladies sometimes. You know, I was talking to this girl, she was talking about the films or fast in the cinema. You know, she got to drink water because she's thirsty. She streamed like 9,200 films back to back without nobody trying to find out what she's feeling. 
like how she feel. And y you know what she told me? I check she told check it out. See what she said. She said. Oh, 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 oh. She said she wants some Groundhog Day, some Glen Gary Ross, a little Lolita. Would definitely set this podcast off right. I'm D, 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 I'm D. Oh yeah. Well, 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 well. She said she wants some War of the World, some Book to Perdition, some Starter for Ten. Definitely set this podcast off right. Yes, it will. It definitely will. Oh, yes, it will. You know what I told her? Gladiator. Yes, that's right. 2001's Gladiator. Uh, it is an absolute classic, but it is also an absolute tragedy that my missus has never seen it. Uh, had I known that many years ago, I, I couldn't safely say that the relationship would have continued, but you don't know what you don't know. So to ensure our partnership endures and we didn't have this massive russell cross sized wedge between us I, I made her watch it and i mentioned it in a previous episode i think we're both on the same page with this I, I love this film i think you do too despite that it's probably 18 years since i watched it last i think i decided i needed a substantial break after watching it for the 20th time so it was really nice to revisit this and assess 20 years later does it still hit me the same way and and also does it hold up visually it does hold up in every respect. Some of the opening battle scenes are as breathtaking now as they were then. The same can be said of the gladiator fights, actually, within the Colosseum. The CGI that they use to create the grand scale of Rome is not bad. You can tell it's CGI, but it's quite cleverly utilised and it's aged well because I think they did some good mix of physical sets being in there as well, so it wasn't too jarring. And I did get a sense from this that it feels slightly different to any film that you would see today because there are things of scale that are done in this that I might be completely wrong, but it seemed practical and you just wouldn't get that now. They just wouldn't even bother. They just go, why would I do that and hire all these extras when I could just CG it? So that was nice to see. Overall, it looks spectacular still. The story is as engrossing as it was way back then and the Hans Zimmer score remains epic as well. One thing that doesn't look great, and I don't know if you remember this, there's some really sporadic use of slow-mo where they've taken out some frames in the fighting scenes, and it's really oddly placed, and it adds nothing to it. So that 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 is my only complaint. Uh, I guess all I want to say is, Ridley Scott, thank you for blessing us all with a near-perfect film. Just probably go back and do a director's cut and get rid of that slow-mo stuff. It's in the opening battle, I remember. Just don't get the decision. I don't know why he did that. It is a true classic, a true classic of our lifetime with iconic costumes, lines, scenes. The full package. Tell you what did wind me up a bit, though. My, my partner, she liked it, but half an hour before the end, she went, it is good, but it's bloody long, this, and it how long's left now? I was like, don't even, just shut up. I didn't say that. That would have been too much, but yeah, ruined the experience ever so slightly. When I rewatched it recently, one scene that stood out that is a good moment musically and performance and editing and CG is when Joaquin Phoenix is screaming at his sister saying, I'm not, am I not merciful? And then it cuts to the arena of the final duel and the music goes huge after he does his, am I not merciful speech? Good underrated moment. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, it is very, very, very good. I have a question for you about the ending. Maximus dies and he's seen going into the afterlife to meet his wife and child. 
And that's something that he talks about a lot throughout the whole film is going to see them in the afterlife. Do you think within the world of that film, not your beliefs in our world, within the world of the film, do you believe that he literally goes to the afterlife to spend eternity with his dead wife and child? That was my reading of it. And it's a very nice end. So that's what I would prefer to believe, regardless of my own individual beliefs. Me too. I was, I was the same. And it's something I only thought about watching it most recently. He's literally going into the afterlife. Within the world of that film, that's presenting the afterlife as something that actually exists. And that's what makes it a total victory for him, is that he maintains his honour in his life, and then he goes into the afterlife peacefully. I am right there with you. Yeah. Okay. From one of the greatest films to the greatest TV in conflicts of interest. What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut up, with yeah. that. Two. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest. BBC Culture polled 206 TV experts from 43 countries in order to find the greatest TV of the 21st century. And they compiled it into a top 100. We're not going to read out the whole top 100. Why? We're just going to... Do you want to do the whole top 100? Oh, we haven't got time. Okay. Uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about any shocking omissions or shockingly high things. Discuss glaring omissions. Some surprises in there. And then I'd also like to ask you if there are some things that you, you're ashamed that you haven't checked out yet. And I will answer the same. Is it worth running through the top 10 at least? Yeah. So from 1 to 10, The Wire... Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Flea Bag, Game of Thrones, I May Destroy You, The Leftovers, The Americans, The Office, UK, Succession. That's the top 10. I'm ashamed to say I've probably only seen 50% of that list. Me too. The main one I'm ashamed of is I've not seen Mad Men. No, not a single episode. I'm in the same boat. Has this made you rethink that? Yes, yes, it has. It has. It has. It's one of those where it, it passed me by. I missed the boat. The boat sailed and there's eight years to get through and ain't nobody got time for that. What I think is really telling in this is I'm not saying these people don't know what they're talking about. They clearly do. There's some absolute amazing shows in there. But do you not think it's quite strange how nearly all of them are from the last 20 years? It's as if it's all we can remember. So therefore it's in there. I am sure there are things. Are you joking? Is this a joke? No. Greatest TV of the 21st century, as in from 2000 onwards. That would explain it. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was of all time. Right, so I, I there's a glaring omission there on my part, so I, I do apologise. Mystery solved. Thank you. Right, okay. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing. What I thought you were going to say is that despite polling the whole world from 43 countries, a lot of American content. Yes, there's only a few European ones in there, isn't there? Which I'm sure can't be quite right if we considered everything. Yeah. But these these are experts after all. Yeah, shows, shows the power of American TV. The Wire is number one. I'm not going to go through every single one, but The Wire is number one. That's fair. It's one of the greatest ever. I didn't make it past series two. I know it is highly regarded, though, by many. So I'll I'll go with that as well. No qualms. Anything that did rub you up the wrong way, perhaps, James? I did like I May Destroy You. Michaela Cole is a genius, I believe I said at the time. Number six of all time, I wouldn't go that far. But this is a poll. It's not one person's list. 
What about you? Anything that you think, oh, that's a bit too high. That's wrong, objectively. Not not necessarily that it's too high or that it's wrong, but I was very surprised to see both the leftovers and the Americans in the top 10. So I know that they have a loyal fan base and critically highly reviewed shows, but I really don't know anyone who talks about the Americans. I don't think I know a single person who's seen it. But it's made me rethink that. I might actually go and give that a go because the, the, the premise sounds quite interesting. What is it? Two Russian spies who come off as a married couple in America carrying out covert operations or whatever it might be. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, that does sound interesting. Not to remove like whatever little credibility that we or I have. Never heard of this program. Never heard of it. The Americans? Yeah. Oh, okay. All the leftovers. Not seen or heard of either of them. The Leftovers was the Justin Theroux one that was... It did have its time where people liked it, but I thought it went a bit off the rails. And do you know what? That's the other thing that I've noticed with this list. There's a lot of stuff which it wasn't considered that it ended very well and it was a bit tainted. So for that reason, I've bypassed a lot of these things. And this has made me think, well, actually, there might be enough in there that makes it still worthwhile if it's in the top 100. Game of Thrones and Lost being the standout examples of that in the top half of the list. Yes, they were the ones that I was talking about specifically without mentioning them. So thank you for that. RuPaul's Drag Race. Didn't where, see that coming. Where is that ranked? Number 67. So would that make it the greatest reality TV show of the 21st century? I don't think it's in doubt because there's no other reality shows on here, I don't think. No. James, what about emissions? The most glaring omission for me, based on how good I think it is and how highly regarded in the world it is, is Outlander, the time-travelling romance about a woman around World War II era who travels 300 years into the past in Scotland and has adventures there. It's regarded as one of the greatest shows of all time. It's one of the most popular of all time. In polls among the public, it comes up in the top five, like around like Game of Thrones wire level. Not here. I think you should leave a comment on the BBC website. Yeah. Just in case somebody wants to make a last minute revision. I'll uh, email Anne Robinson at points of view. What about you? Any glaring omissions? Dark Angel. Right. Jessica Alba, forgotten TV show of. No, I'm, I'm completely joking. I'm completely joking. For me, I'm not crying out for it to be in this list, but it did shock me that Friends isn't in here because that's had such a, a following and, and a cultural impact you could argue that it's it's shocking that it's not here i was surprised at that that is very yeah that is surprising maybe because it started uh in the previous century it doesn't get in of course i keep forgetting that yeah and that will probably be the same reason why buffy the vampire slayer doesn't make its way in this list which was the other one that i had listed (laughs) yeah yeah i think we should be thoroughly ashamed that neither of us has watched succession because we both love the thick of it we both like Veep, I think. And it's the same writers. And it is getting rave reviews for season three. So that is the one thing that actually I will be checking out in the next week because it's available on now TV. I need to watch it. Yeah, urgently. That is an urgent action out of this meeting to watch Succession. Noted. I've added it to my to-do list. Thank you. Something we have both watched that we are going to talk about now is this week's main review. Hello. I'd like to order an opinion this film is new fresh point of view let me sit back this is a fact we in the aisles here are some aisles thoughts in sync tell you what to think i'll listen to you but please don't rap again 
This week's main review is Last Night in Soho. Baby, you don't know what you say. So what brings you down then? I'm studying London College of Fashion. Right, room is on the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. I could live any place and any time I'd live here in London in the 60s. Last Night in Soho is a cautionary tale about London being a ghastly and ghostly cesspool of iniquity, an unforgiving and dangerous place. But how much must Dinah Riggs' house be worth? She could sell it and build an annex to Ellis Fashion College and pay all their tuition fees just to know the baby boomer holding the housing wealth. Or as IMDb would put it, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. James, what did you think of Edgar Wright's latest film? Refreshing at last to watch something completely original, detached from franchises, remakes and other expectations. I'd not even seen a trailer. I'd seen the poster and a few promotional images. The handling of the plot or plots was very well done. Get drawn into Ellie's story, going to college, then get drawn into Ellie getting drawn into Sandy's story. I wanted to know what happened next. And isn't that all that matters, really? My attention was held I've seen critical comments about the pace, that it needs to slow down or speed up in different places. I thought it was fine. I wasn't too bothered about the modern day romance. So that slowed things down a bit, but I thought everything built up well to the climax. Genre wise, it's a mashup of coming of age drama, thriller, horror, mystery, slasher. And Edgar Wright does a good job with all of those styles. It starts very ordinary, small town, then it's 60s glamour and full horror later on. I didn't find it jarring. It was unpredictable, but it all felt part of the same whole. The body double, body switching mirror scenes I really liked. I'll pick up more in spoilers, but I want to hear a director's commentary of exactly how they did each transition. Like From a nerdy point of view, that was fun to watch. Thomasin McKenzie, fantastic, excellent, brilliant. We shall watch her career with great interest. Anya Taylor-Joy has less to do, but still delivers. The casting of those two was inspired, and I don't know how to explain it other than to say you couldn't swap them around. One is the innocent-looking one, and the other has massive eyes. In terms of the message, the theme, it was maybe a bit confused or confusing, but that didn't take away from my enjoyment. Of this film. Daniel, what did you think of Last Night in Soho? I like Edgar Wright and all that he does and has done. Scott Pilgrim is probably up there in my top 25 films of all time. And he's obviously touched on the horror genre before with the likes of Shaun of the Dead. And despite that being a comedy, you can tell that he's he's very proficient when it comes to representing horror. So knowing nothing of this film other than its very horror-esque poster, I got the sense that this was going to be him returning to that genre, but minus the comedy. It is partly that. Yes, it is a horror, but as you said, it's a bit of a genre mashup, and I appreciated the feeling of not really knowing where it was going until at least halfway through. The story itself, it's an engaging one. It's a mystery, and as any mystery should, it had me intrigued, and I wanted to see it through and know what the crack was. 
as you've said, there is a romance side plot, but to be honest, hard as they try, I didn't really sense any chemistry between the two of them, and it definitely didn't work for me. Despite those shortcomings, it's a very visually arresting film. It's extremely stylish and nice to look at, especially when it comes to the recreation of the 1960s and all its surface-level glamour, because it's it's dirty underneath. The thing that complements all that is... Again, with Wright, he's a very technical filmmaker and he likes to play with the camera and show you things that you've never seen before. And as you've indicated, the use of mirrors is a very fine example of that. And like you said, I I did find myself a bit wowed by it, but at the same time, I was slightly taken out of the experience because I was going, how has he done that? I I just couldn't fathom it and it it was annoying me. It is a very confident film, as you would expect from him as a director, but I would argue that maybe it's a little too confident and it cuts a few corners in terms of explaining to you how the main character transports from present day to the 1960s. The rules around that and how it works were murky to me, and that would be completely fine. I don't need a full-on explanation, but some of the later developments in the plot where it almost does a number on you and it misdirects you based on your understanding of how you think it works, that annoyed me as well, and I'll explain why in spoilers. As for the acting, for me, I I thought it was inspired casting. You've got two polar opposite female characters here. Anya Taylor-Joy, I'm not familiar with. I haven't seen The Queen's Gambit or anything else that she's done, but she commanded my attention in this. I think she really nails the sexy, dangerous and alluring appeal of that character. Thomas and Mackenzie, who's a bit more subdued, she she is the glue that holds all this together and she's on screen for quite possibly the entire runtime. And I think she did a really fine job. Again, was invested in her character and despite there not being a lot of depth to it, just the whole innocent and demure demeanour that she had, I was interested in her plight and I did root for her. So had me on that. The sad thing for me, which I was most disappointed in, is the horror elements of this film, I think, are actually some of the weakest moments in it. It's something, again, we can discuss more in spoilers, but there's an overuse of certain things that, for one, weren't scary in the first place, and the constant repetition of it just dampened the impact even more. I did overall enjoy this film, and I am very glad that I've seen it, but if I'm I'm being true to myself, I can't help feeling slightly underwhelmed, but I do have to say that i think my expectations were probably a bit too high okay neither of us have mentioned matt smith in our overall comments he was good but that's it i don't know i don't know what else to say he was there (laughs) yes he portrayed his character very well a bit of a slime ball maybe not at first oh god spoilers i think i might have yeah again with matt smith's character we can't say much without going into spoilers another thing that both of us neglected to mention the soundtrack Not going to be everyone's jam, but I personally thought it was banging. I loved it. The 60s isn't my go-to era for music, but I am partial to a song or two, and I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, great soundtrack. I, too, don't listen to 60s music. Don't even like the Beatles, but yeah, the soundtrack really helped to transport you to the era. And I don't know if this will resonate with you, and it definitely won't for our audience, because they didn't live our childhoods, but there's a use of Scylla Black in this, which... Good on you, bringing Scylla Black to the mainstream. She was already pretty mainstream, to be fair. Well, yeah, but she's forgotten about it, especially when it comes to America, isn't okay. she? She didn't She didn't make it in the US, no, did she? No, I don't think so, no. 
but I got nervous because I don't know if you remember, we both used to work in a retail store locally and they played a Silla Black song relentlessly, Step Inside Love. And I thought, do not play that song because I cannot listen to it again. Thankfully, they didn't know. So that was good. I'm getting flashbacks to putting the same price label on different size plates and getting told off for the big plate having to be sold for cheaper than it actually was. Yeah, it was a toxic work environment. Yeah. We may as well forget about it. Mm-hmm. When the film first began, I thought it was set in the 60s. Maybe it's because I was going in blind and because I wasn't paying enough attention. I thought this is set in the 60s. Then when she goes into a, a corner shop, they've got Yazoo and modern confectionery on the shelves. I thought, this is lazy. This is a lazy recreation of the 60s. I don't know if you were the same. I was the same, but I think I'd realised maybe a minute earlier when I saw Modern Day Cars as she arrived in London. But no, I, I had the exact same impression. Because it is quite well done that. I was like, yep, yeah, we are in the 60s. That is the time period we're in. And then, no, bait and switch. Oh, there we are. Right, I see what you did there. She's just obsessed with this era, isn't she? Yeah, Which... and it very effectively sets up her character as someone who is from a very different background to those other awful, awful bullies who are more yes. trendy. She's an old soul. Did you notice how many times Pizza Express appears in this film? Yes, I did, both in the background and in dialogue. I don't know whether they're making amends for being dragged through the mud with the whole Prince Andrew thing, but it's like they're doing a bit of a, yeah, let's reclaim our glory and go Hollywood. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's it's far too overused in this. Considering the number of shops that are in London that could have appeared in the background, Pizza Express is is very prominent there with its bright sign at night. I, th- I think we've reached the end of general talk on this film. We get to <laughs> yeah, spoilers. yeah, we're going to spoilers immediately. Daniel, would you recommend Last Night in Soho? Despite feeling underwhelmed, I did actually really enjoy this as a cinema experience, and I think there's a lot of fun to be had with it. So, yes, I would recommend it. What about you? Yes, I would recommend it. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So what happens is Ellie goes to fashion college. Student accommodation doesn't go well. She's being bullied. She moves into a house with Dinah Rigg. She travels to the 60s in the evening and half observes, half body swaps into Sandy in the 60s, who is groomed by Matt Smith. Ellie's desperate to find out what happens with Sandy. It is revealed that Sandy was killing the men that were her clients. It is also revealed that Dinah Rigg is Sandy and she's a serial killer of these not nice men. Dinah Rigg tries to kill Ellie but does not succeed and Dinah Rigg burns alive in the house. Did you foresee the plot twist coming? Because I didn't and I felt like a right idiot. I saw it coming. I don't know what triggered it but i did about halfway through start to think diana rig is sandy she's been there all along and these are her memories and i thought that the way it was subtly revealed first the pre-reveal when ellie is going through the post and you see an envelope that says alexandra something on it and it gives you that reveal and i think that was a way of saying if you've already guessed it here's the quick confirmation so well done but now let's watch ellie react to it Fair play to you then for seeing it coming. Uh, The reason why I didn't is because of the vision that she has of her death, which is the bit that I was referring to that annoyed me because you get a sense for how 
this envision in the past works or time travel, whatever you want to call it. And she sees events that actually happened. But in this instance, oh, it didn't, that actually didn't happen. And I thought, well, how, how do you explain that away? In that we saw her death, but guess what? That was just for the purpose of misdirecting you. It didn't actually happen. And I thought that was a bit cheeky. Yeah, that's fair. I think a cheeky misdirect. A cheap one, in fact. Yeah. That's why I was hoodwinked and I didn't see it coming. The body swapping that I said I wanted to talk a little bit more about in spoilers, because I do think it creeps up on you the way that it happens. So Ellie travels back in time by sleeping. And sometimes Ellie is observing Sandy and Telejoy. And sometimes she's inside her body. It took me a while to get over the fact that they were doing both and just forget about it. But I really liked when there's a mirror you can tell it is just Thomas and Mackenzie on the other side of some glass. It's nothing fancy, but it works really well. And when she's kissing Matt Smith, it's obviously just a Matt Smith body double on the other side of some glass. I really like that. But then when they do a dance scene, and there's an article about this or an interview where they say that that is done practically and there's a lot of off-camera switches in that first dance scene with Matt Smith before he turns into an evil pimp groomer. And is that confirmed as well, that it is just her on the other side of glass? Yeah. Right, okay. Because obviously you have the character on one side of the mirror who also then appears on the other side of the glass. And it, it is seamless. It's so well done. That's why I just couldn't work out how they'd done it. But I suppose that makes complete sense. Did you see that For Diana title come up at the beginning of the film? Yes. I I did, and I thought it was for Princess Diana, and I thought that doesn't make sense. And then I found out that Diana Rigg, who plays Sunday, she, she died during this. That's a bit sad, isn't it? So nice to honour her with with this film where she's a murderous woman but no it is a fine performance to end on so yeah just thought i'd highlight that so let's talk about sandy then it's a funny performance she's the landlady she owns a house which must be worth millions and she is alexandra those are her memories and she at some point decided to kill the men that were paying to sleep with her this is a confusing messaging that i've seen commented on in other reviews which is Yes, she's a victim. She was groomed. That's on the table. But then when she's revealed as a murderer, it's a shocking reveal. And it's, oh, she's going to kill us too. And then she poisons Ellie. She stabs the boyfriend. She's going to kill Ellie. And she becomes this villain. But the fact is still on the table that she was a victim in the 60s. So it gets a bit confused. But then at the end, there's that moment where Ellie realizes, oh, they deserved it, is the message at the end. I yeah. think that was what was thinking. They either say it or it's implied that they did deserve it. But then at the same time, minutes before that, it's revealed that these ghosts of these men that are chasing Ellie, they're chasing after her to say, help us, help us. Yeah, I was confused. It's not, it's not very clear. And you're not telling me that just your own personal opinions out on the table. I've never frequented a prostitute. I'm just going to throw that out there. But if you do, you're not necessarily an evil bastard. You might be lonely. And you might not deserve to have your throat slit. I'm sure there are some horrendous, abusive people that do visit prostitutes, but it can't be all. So, yeah, it's not clear. And I don't personally believe that all 100 of these men would have deserved death. Yes, but she was groomed into it by Matt Smith. So that, to me, is what makes her a victim for the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. She is still a victim. But the other men that then factor into her life because she is now who she is, that's not their fault, is all I'm saying, which is why 
the messaging is problematic. What makes it problematic is that reveal that they're saying, help us, help us. It's like, what? Mm. We were just, are we celebrating that you're being killed or not? That was that was the confusion. Another, this is nitpicking, but the way in which these men break out from the floorboards and the walls of the house almost implied to me that they were buried in the house. I don't know if that's ever confirmed, but how do you get away with the rotting corpses and the smell of over 100 dead men in the house? How do you get away with that? That just makes you think, how big is this house? How big is this house? And really, how much must it be worth if you can fit 100 dead bodies inside it? And also, those ghosts, were they literally ghosts actually having physical impact on the world, or were they in her imagination? Because even they, to an extent, body swap with people in the real world at points, don't they? Like she nearly accidentally kills one of her classmates, the bullying one, I forget her name. Jocasta. She, that's the one. Because she appears to her as a ghost. Again, not clear. I wasn't so much bothered by that, but while we're talking about it, this is the bit that I didn't like. I didn't like these hollowed out faces. I didn't find them very creepy. It was far too frequently used. And as I said, or alluded to in the main review, didn't affect me. I, I, just, I didn't like it. What did you yeah, think? Yeah, I didn't find it scary either. Even though I've talked about how the horror was done well, I wasn't actually scared. And those, yeah, those hollowed out faces, it was too much of a confusing CGI mess than mm. just something simple. And I think because it was, there were so many variations of them as well. You couldn't latch on to a central evil figure to find imposing. And I think that's why it just didn't quite work for me. Maybe, maybe just men in suits with like a rubber faceless face would have been creepier. Yeah, I think it would have been, to be honest. One thing that we've not mentioned yet is the is another misdirect. At least I think it is insinuated that Matt Smith is present day Terran Stamp. And that is what you're led to believe for the majority of the film, certainly where my mind was going. And then, no, it's not him. So that was a nice little twist as well that I did enjoy because I, I was almost convinced. I was too. That was a, There was a one confusing line where he said, I didn't kill Sandy, Alex killed Sandy, which is a reference to the full name Alexandra. I don't really get that. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that bit. Hmm. I liked the police officer twist, but it didn't go anywhere. As soon as Terence Stamp died, that was it. I wondered if there was maybe more to that, like a, another scene, another flashback scene with the young police officer. But he actually only appears once where he's posing as a client. I'm sure there was. It is a two-hour film. I'm probably in the interest of keeping it snappy. There probably is a scene or two left on the, uh, the editing floor. There are two pretty straightforward villains in the film, Matt Smith and Jocasta, the bully. Matt Smith, unless I've forgotten it, he doesn't really get a comeuppance. He doesn't get brutally stabbed by Sandy. We don't actually know what happened to him, do we? No, you're right. It's not confirmed, is it? That would have been satisfying to see that because, as I say, it was a bit of a slime ball. The attention goes into whether or not he is Terence Stamp. It turns out he's not, but then you don't find out what did happen to him. He's just left and he's, he's the central groomer another thing is that within ellie's modern world the biggest threat to her is the other girl bullies in her fashion school mainly jocasta and she doesn't get her comeuppance either for me she did because she isn't she at the very end i might have read this wrong but she's in the background of ellie's fashion show and i thought she was assisting or made to assist with her fashion show 
I thought I was little. Ah, sticking your fingers up to her, saying you are a mere minion now because you have failed in your fashion career and Ellie has flourished. That, that's what I took it to mean, but I think I've read that wrong. I didn't think that's what was happening. I thought that was a graduation fashion show where each student shows their final works mm. and Jocasta was just preparing hers to go out as well. Well, for somebody who attended university but only actually went twice, I don't know how these things work. So you're probably right on that one. But I okay. just thought maybe that's my preferred ending. They have a look. They look at each other and they've obviously not made up. And you know in Mean Girls, at the end of Mean Girls, where time passes and Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams have these nods to each other like we're past all that now we respect each other we were young and yeah that's not what's happening here it is a resentful look that they have at each other and there's no resolution to that relationship she does a sarcastic clap and i thought that in, that is showing that she is fuming at her success so i, I that was where i got solace from i thought yeah she's, i see she's been mugged over there right yeah yeah so it's a, a professional victory that mm, ellie has yeah, yeah okay alex yeah i'll accept that well, is that the last word on the last night in Soho, James? I think it is. Okay, let's let's do the obligatory sign-off then. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, you could do so by leaving us five-star review and rating on iTunes. Please follow us on Instagram at in the hours Podcast, or you can email us at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com. James, what is on the horizon for the next episode? Marvel's Eternals. Oh. Do we have to? It's divided audiences and critics. 49% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. 86 audience. Yeah, well, you might gauge from mine and James's reactions that I don't think we're terribly looking forward to it. But it might surprise us, James, with lowered expectations. It might. We'll see. Tune in next week. And we are eternally grateful for you listening. Thank you.